0: there's a there's a latin american theologian that i i like reading he said that in every generation we need to evangelize the church um oh, that's a we good look one at, and it's yeah. a good quote <laughs> but if we look at if we look at and, and i think that's what really the mission of luther and calvin was it was a their mission field was evangelizing the church calvin hmm. probably the family a bit more um but it, you know just as um Ezra rediscovered the law, and they read the law again. Something that mm-hmm. had gone dormant. the The people of Israel did not know the word of God. That happens in um, that happens in generations with churches and denominations, and um, and so we need to um, just keep bringing up that that Christ has died and Christ has risen, and and this is our only hope in life.
1: Welcome back to the Sand Hills Podcast. My name is Pastor John. I'm joined today by Dr. Smither. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're excited to have you on. Uh, As you guys know, we've been doing a uh, little bit of a mini-series in this season about how to engage other worldviews and other uh, lines of theological thought, whether it be Eastern spiritualism, whether it be uh, Islam, uh, whether it be uh, atheism and agnosticism, and talking about these concepts. And today, uh, we're excited to have you on the show because you... Uh, are an expert in christian history uh, and teach that at columbia international university and now we will be talking about the worldviews of catholicism and protestantism okay. and talking through kind of the history of that as well as as well as some early church history sure kind of get in there uh, but welcome to the show We're thank very you thank you it's you. fun to be here if you could give us maybe a, just a brief introduction of yourself uh, so our audience can get to know you a little bit how did you come to faith and how did you come to teach uh history and christian history
0: yeah sure uh I grew up in a family that didn't go to church and a neighbor invited our family to church and some of us went and went for a couple of years and um, And there was actually a, a Christian college student who was filling in for my Sunday school class and he kind of said, you know, I don't know what you guys have been doing uh, in class, but why don't we just talk about what it means to have a personal relationship with God? And mm. that was probably the first time that someone... Uh, clearly explained to me um, how I could know Christ and be forgiven wow. of my sins. And so um, and to my surprise, after class, he said, if you want to stay after and talk more, let's do that. And so about four or five of us did, and and that's the day that I, I believed and, and gave wow. my life to Christ and was baptized a little bit later.
1: That's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, that is so cool. How, so it's uh, a novel happens.
0: idea to invite people to church and share Christ with them and yeah, people come to is. faith.
1: That's wonderful. And then, what was the journey from that point of becoming a Christian to now uh, being an, an expert in Christian history? Well, uh, I
0: always loved history, even going back to middle school and high school. Social studies and history were were my favorite classes. Um, I ended up doing a majored in history in college, and um, um, I think just I, I just love stories of the past and. Mm. Um, you know, love to travel around the world. I've lived in different places in the world and, um, and, um, and, and so just just fascinated by understanding um, our story and, and of course mm. the story of the church and, uh, and, and how the gospel has spread through the centuries. So yeah. uh, but I came to Columbia International University uh, nine years ago um, to teach
1: intercultural studies and the history of global Christianity. So wow. That is awesome. I I was just thinking, as you were talking about that and and traveling around and getting to see, you know, historical landmarks and places of significance, uh, I was in Germany uh, in in 2015. My parents sent me over there for a kind of a senior present before going off to college. And I found, uh, as we were walking through the city, there's just this Roman wall Mm -hmm. from, like, the year 300. Mm -hmm. And it was just amazing to see that Mm. and, and to think, you know, who else has walked in front of this and what stories are there and, and what can we learn from them? Mm-hmm. And so studying it. back and going back in these things, especially for Christians and, and seeing what the saints have done before us that we can learn for uh, today, you know? So, Absolutely. Um, I loved your classes, by the way, for those of you who don't know, I went to CIU. I took Dr. Smithers' classes. Uh, they were a lot of fun and I've got some really great resource books now. Out of it right. to study Christian history, but uh, so here will be a fun challenge. <laughs> sure, could you give us a crash course speed run on the first fourteen hundred years of Christian history? Yeah, sure. That should take a few days. But, <laughs> um, well, first
0: thing I would say, I, let, let's let's start at, at about the year one hundred. So we've mm-hmm. we've we've got the close of the New Testament period. Um, if we draw a timeline from about the year one hundred to three hundred. Um, uh, Christianity is a global faith. It's spreading mm. very quickly into Africa. Uh, by the year 300, the king of Armenia will be baptized as a Christian. Um, there will be missionaries going to India from Egypt. Wow. Um, for most of the first, uh, th- that period of time, Christianity wasn't a, a recognized faith in the mm. Roman Empire and even the Persian Empire and other places. Um But there was kind of a big uh, paradigm shift in the year 312 when the Roman Emperor Constantine declared his faith in the God of the Christians. Mm. Um, And so from there, from about 300 to 600, it's really kind of a clarifying of the church. The church becomes recognized uh, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Um, So inside the church, uh, we're wrestling through things like the doctrine of the Trinity and uh, so, at the year three twenty-five in Nicaea, the Emperor Constantine called uh, a universal church council to to settle this issue. It doesn't get settled there. On to three eighty-one, there is another big council that looks at the doctrine of the Father, Son, and and Holy Spirit. And mm. moving into the fifth century, the year four fifty-one at the Council of of Chalcedon. That's the Trying to sort out the divinity and the humanity of Christ, um, mm. all the way up till about the year 600, when when the Bishop of Rome was Gregory the Great, we we kind of start to see the the solidifying of what we would call Roman Catholicism, mm. um, where that becomes the dominant form of Christianity uh, in Europe. Um, after that, um, I will say that that Christianity is spreading throughout the world in the seventh century. At the same time that the king of Northumbria in England is hearing the gospel. The emperor of China is hearing the gospel. Mm. And so Christianity is going very far east from Syria and to Persia to Central Asia, all the way to, to China. Uh, at the same time, Celtic monks are taking the gospel and evangelizing the rest of Europe. The The Vikings are coming to faith by mm. the ninth century. Um by the 10th century, 11th century, uh, we start to see a divide, especially between the Latin-speaking Western Church and the Greek-speaking mm. East uh, over cultural differences, uh, doctrinal differences. And so in, in the year 1054, there's what we call the Great Schism, where we see the Western Roman Catholic Church splitting officially from the Eastern Orthodox Church, what becomes mm. the Eastern Orthodox right. Church. Um 1095, that was a, a, an important year um, in the life of the church. That's when Pope Urban II announced the first crusades to take mm-hmm. back the Holy Land. And so that set into motion hundreds of years of fighting um, mm-hmm. between um,
1: Christians in Europe and in the Muslim world. And global mindsets mm-hmm. that we still have playing out today. Absolutely. Wow. Absolutely. And so that started <laughs> a th- over a thousand years ago? About yeah, a thousand years ago. Almost wow. a thousand years wow. since the crusades.
0: Um, but then we we move up toward the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we meet reformers like Jan Hus and uh, John Wycliffe, who were had Reformation leanings before the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. So um, I will just say that the way that we um, church historians look at history, sometimes they look at it uh, as the history of doctrine. Mm. And that's part of it. Um some look at kind of the history of churches and denominations and that's part of it um i think that uh the mission of god is what drives all of that mission mm. is what goes first and then the church is established and then we do theology to reflect on that so um so so Christianity's always been a global faith
1: yeah absolutely uh, uh about what time because you mentioned the the when the Bishop of Rome was starting to kind of become Mm -hmm. Roman Catholicism and Rome became the city of Christianity, Mm -hmm. you know, along with, um, Constantinople Mm -hmm. and the, and then Jerusalem in the beginning. And so Pope urban saying, you know, we're going to go take back the Holy land. Uh, what kind of happened within that time period that the cities were switching because, you know, it seems like, uh, the history of global Christianity truly is global. Uh, but the centers of that have changed. And, and so when did, and why did that happen? That the sure. cities were even changing. Yeah. I mean, early
0: on, Jerusalem is kind of considered the first city. You have Jerusalem, you have Alexandria, Constantinople, mm-hmm. and Rome. Um, what what's really interesting is when the Emperor Constantine moved this the seat of the 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 capital of, of the Roman Empire from the city of Rome in Italy to Constantinople, right? What is now Istanbul. Um and he kind of left vacant a place where there was, uh, where power becomes filled by the bishop of Rome and, and wealth uh, comes in there. Um, so uh, that is certainly part of it. Um, there is certainly the Roman Catholic teaching that the seeds of the kingdom were given by Jesus to Peter, mm-hmm. and Peter, um, in traditional Catholic teaching, is considered the first pope, the first mm-hmm. bishop of Rome. Um, that's questioned by many, including Catholic scholars. But but that so there's some kind of theological uh, rationale behind you know the primacy of Rome. But um, it's political, it's it's theological, but also cultural. Um, by the year 663, at a council at a place called Whitby, um, the Roman Catholic Church really asserted dominance over the church in the British mm-hmm. Isles and the rest of Europe. And and so it, it's it's kind of like that for
1: uh, through the reformation wow that is fascinating so amidst that environment of uh the church being on mission for the evangelization evangelization of the world uh, but then also becoming tied to seats of power and politics and money and and these things going around in, in the heart of empires what are some of the most important theologians from within that timeline that helped Set the pace and set the stage for that uh, global evangelization.
0: Yeah. Well, my my favorite theologians are are African theologians. Um, so I would begin in the third century with Tertullian of Carthage. Mm. Um, he's the one that uh, uttered the famous words: "The blood of the seed is martyr. Uh, the, the blood of the martyrs is seed." Rather. Oh um, wow. For the church. Um, so he was uh, at work in a time when the church didn't have freedom. Um, he also cared very much about uh, doctrinal purity. And so in a book that he wrote called Against Praxeas, where uh, his opponent was saying that basically God is like one actor in the theater and wears three different masks. Mm. It's one person who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, later, this we call this modalism. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, no, God is three. And mm. he introduced a word that we would use today, trinity. Wow. Um, wow. So that was important for, for clarifying uh, doctrine. Um, I'd go to a second African theologian, Athanasius of Alexandria, who was Coptic culturally, but sp- but spoke and wrote in Greek. Tertullian wrote in Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, but Athanasius was a deacon at the Council of Nicaea in 325, and probably had a lot to do with the. Um, with the architecture of the Nicene Creed, mm. and so when we read words in the in the Nicene Creed that Jesus is uh, uh, God from God, Light from Light, True God, uh, begotten not made, of one being with the Father, um, Athanasius spent a lot of his life uh, defending um, the divinity of Jesus and also the triunity of of the Godhead. Mm. Um, Athanasius did live after. Um, you know, after they were Christian emperors, but he often was at odds with uh, with emperors. And he spent uh, about 15 years of his 45 years as Bishop of Alexandria uh, in exile wow. uh, because of um, conflict with political yeah. <laughs> leaders. Um, so that's the second one. Uh, third one would be Augustine of Hippo, mm. um, who lived in what is now uh, modern Algeria and spent part of his time in what's now Tunisia. Um Augustine was brilliant. He wrote works on the Trinity. Uh, he helped to clarify uh, the doctrine of grace, mm. um, or the doctrines of grace. Um, certainly had a lot to say about what is the church. Um, and through his work on the city of God, he, he gives one of the earliest um, Christian philosophies of history. How do we understand ourselves? Mm. Uh, we are citizens of heaven, but we are pilgrims in the earthly city and how do we make sense of this life?
1: Wow. So, I mean, It's it's fascinating. It's so good to study these things and these people, because so much of what we take for granted um, as Christians and, and doctrine is, is built upon these incredibly hard questions that they struggled through and wrestled with and came out uh, with something that we can call doctrine today, that we can stand firmly on as our confession and that these aren't just words that they're sitting there in their rooms thinking, oh, this will be fun to write. You know, but they're at odds with the political entities. They're risking their lives in many cases. Uh, or traveling incredible distances. Uh, Augustine, for instance, often would travel hundreds and hundreds of miles just to preach the word mm-hmm. to people who, who are eager to hear. Uh, and so these are fascinating stories that we stand on. And, and as we look back at these uh, as it created what we know today as you know, Catholicism, What's the first thing that pops into to mind when you hear someone say Catholic today? Well, if you'd asked me that twenty-five
0: years ago, I would have said, "Oh, dark and traditional people, mm. and with priests and robes and things like that." Um, but the word Catholic literally means whole. Mm. Um, so, in the church I'm a part of, we're, when we say the Nicene Creed, we say that we are we believe in one holy, catholic, and apostolic Church, and mm. By Catholic, we mean universal. It's it's the whole of God's people in all of the world right now and the communion of saints who have been a part of God's people always. Mm. And so um, so it's the global community of, of, of worshipers in, of Christ.
1: Mm. Absolutely. And how has the, the Catholic Church, uh, both in terms of the global church, changed since then and in terms of the the kind of brick-and-mortar Catholic Church that we think of. How have they changed from these eras?
0: Yeah, I mean, the world's a complicated place and things, it's uneven. <clears throat> but I think uh, I, I would qualify what you're saying by talking about the Roman Catholic Church. And, ah, yes. and we do start to see, um, and even some of the Reformers would talk about Romanism mm. more than the Catholic Church. Or the papacy. Uh, yeah, or they talk, the papacy. Talk and, and, about that, and, you
1: know, yeah. They, had, they got a little heated yeah people <laughs> so like martin luther right. had
0: quite some some things to say about the pope and That's things right. <laughs> um but I, I think uh you know part of 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 what led toward the protestant reformation were some doctrinal errors mm-hmm. so teachings on things like purgatory that there's this place between heaven and hell that people go to and and uh and 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 get purified to be able to go to heaven um and, uh, you know, there are, there are teachings about the, the Lord's Supper. Is, is the bread and the wine, does that actually turn into the real body and blood of Christ? Christ mm. suffered and died once. Um, mm. So that's a big word called transubstantiation. That's a, that's right. a Catholic teaching that was uh, adopted in the 13th century. Um, so those are some, some problematic areas. And I will say that, that even um, among Roman Catholics, they were debating these areas. And mm-hmm. so there, were, there, there has been reformation within the Roman Catholic Church, right? Uh, not just going outside of it. Um, some of the problematic areas um, in, the, in the medieval period, we see churches getting really wealthy, mm-hmm. uh, monasteries getting very wealthy, um, and uh, people getting involved in politics. Um, you know, it's easy to criticize that, but in the West today, there are Protestant evangelical churches that are very wealthy and people get really sidetracked with politics. Absolutely. And so it's not just a Catholic thing. I think it, it could be a human thing.
1: Mm. And again, the, the importance of studying history is to find, oh, cause it's so easy to look back and be like, oh, well that there was a mistake. huh? Yeah. And then we see, well, wait a second. What's happening no. today that looks similar to these things. Absolutely. History's prophetic. It critiques mm. us
0: and um and and it humbles us so
1: now how are some of uh protestant beliefs different from roman catholic beliefs uh, in terms of everyday life Uh, are there differences or or are they just different in name
0: well i think fundamentally the the big question if i sit with catholic friends and and i had a uh, a student a while back uh, or or an applicant to our school who is catholic and and we had this conversation um, basically uh the the authority and the foundation for what we believe um for most roman catholics um it comes from the church and and often it it the you know the pope weighs in as well Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that's where the 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 final authority is the reformation value of sola scriptura that 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 scripture is the final authority for what we believe now we Mm. You know what as protestants we care about tradition when i read a biblical commentary uh written by an evangelical scholar there's a lot of tradition of interpretation and things like Mm -hmm. that Um, uh, we have creeds we have the apostles creed and the nicene creed and other creeds Um, but ultimately it's scripture that critiques all of that of course Mm. with the creeds it comes out of scripture so that's what um i think definitely sets us apart uh, the challenge in the medieval period, when you have teachings on the veneration of Mary, and even sometimes even Mary being prayed to or 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 venerated, mm-hmm. um, or the teachings on um, the body and blood of Christ at the Lord's table, um, even the uh, the authority given to the Pope, um, the critique of all of that would come from Scripture, mm-hmm. um, and so it's uh, and so even reformed Christians. We talk about the idea of reformed and always being reformed, uh, always being critiqued by that because we can, we can err in our ways um, a, a as well. But right. but yeah, I think I think the some of the 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 everyday teachings would be uh, everyday differences would be what's the final authority and, um, and and then we you know we we have respect for Mary, uh, but we wouldn't venerate her right. as as some Roman
1: Catholics do in the world. Right. Now, what is the the historical basis for some of the intense hatred that you see in history between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestants. I mean, uh, and, and again, that's not just, oh, well, it's, it was the Catholics doing, the Roman Catholics doing this, uh, but we'd be remiss to not talk about John Calvin mm-hmm. doing similar things, you mm-hmm. know, and Martin Luther mm-hmm. uh, doing things, not just to Catholics, but also to Jewish populations in yeah. Germany at the time. Oh, why, why did those things come about? How did they happen? Yeah, well,
0: it, it's complicated, but I, I think when we go back to the Emperor Constantine, when we see uh, the church and the state come together, uh, and there being state churches, um, uh, that becomes a problem because with a, with a state comes a military, comes mm. politics, and so so in europe uh someone's baptism certificate becomes the same as their passport or as their birth certificate wow Uh, this is what we call christendom this this union of of the church uh, and the state together Um, i think it's good for christians to serve in government Mm -hmm. uh, but we don't have theocracies we don't have um and, and of course that's what we're we're fearing we'll start again in Afghanistan is, is right. an Islamic type of theocracy. Theocracy, Absolutely. Um, and, and so there needs to be obviously some space between there, but, um, I think people are pretty passionate about their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and it's part of their identity. And so we saw in the crusades, Christians fighting Muslims, uh, in the reformation, we saw Protestants fighting Catholics mm-hmm. and, um, and so it, I, I think it probably has to do maybe with the uh, the violent, non-peaceful way of, of humans mm-hmm. um, and that, that uh, intertwined identity of nationality and, and faith.
1: Mm-hmm. And that goes back to that idea that Augustine was talking about of we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven, yet we're pilgriming on this earth. And mm-hmm. we have this flesh that we How do we do that? How do we separate these two? How do we live amidst it? Um, and I think that one of the things that can often happen is, is we as we have these conversations, especially in America, uh, where we think, oh, those, that's just what happened in European history. But this was these kinds of fights were happening as recently as 100, 150 years ago in New York City with uh, immigrants coming over and there being signs that said, you know, no Catholics mm-hmm. or things like that happening. So this isn't just a, a European issue, right? This is a human sin mm-hmm. issue that we've seen across the board. Uh, and so with that comes a conversation of well, when I have a Catholic friend or or if I'm speaking with a Catholic, should I try and, you know, share my testimony and, and evangelize them in the same way that I would if I was maybe speaking to someone who I knew was an atheist or agnostic? Or well, What do you think about that?
0: Well, um, everyone needs Christ and everyone mm. needs the gospel. Um, I grew up in an area in the South where a lot of Baptists that... Many of them didn't know Christ in a saving way. Mm. And so um, everyone needs to be evangelized, even those that come from nominal Christian backgrounds. We we present Christ uh, who has suffered, crucified, buried, he's risen, ascended. Mm. Um, now, obviously, the starting point spiritually of someone that's an atheist uh, versus someone that's a Catholic is different. The nice thing is that we have a lot of common ground with Catholics. All right. Um, in fact, I, you know, even if I were sitting with someone who's a Catholic, we could even just look at the Nicene Creed together. Mm-hmm. Something a creed that is said in Catholic and Protestant churches, and and let that be our, our common ground for um, for really looking at who the person of Christ is and. Mm. And, and then, of course, looking at at, at the gospel. And so, um, there's a there's a Latin American theologian that I, I like reading. He said that in every generation we need to evangelize the church. Mm. Um, oh, and that's we a look good one. At, and it's yeah. a good quote. <laughs> but if we look at if we look at and and I think that's what really the mission of Luther and Calvin was. It was a their mission field was evangelizing the church. Calvin mm. probably the family a bit more. Um, but it, you know, just as um, Ezra rediscovered the law, and they read the law again. Something that mm. had gone dormant. the The people of Israel did not know the word of God. That happens in um, that happens in generations with churches and denominations, and um, and so we need to um, just keep bringing up that that Christ has died and Christ has risen, and and this is our only hope in life. Mm. Is that
1: absolutely? And that, and that is such a good uh, a shift in mindset. It's not just a well, I'm going to pick and choose who I evangelize to, but our entire lives being the mission of evangelism. And uh, I'm, I'm sure you will know uh, the quote. I always misplace the quote. But when he, uh, the saint who said, uh, we should always be preaching the gospel, but speaking only when necessary. Yeah.
0: St. Saint, saint Francis preached the gospel Francis. always and used words when necessary. There's no actually evidence that he said that. Oh, but really? I think he could have said that. He did act that way.
1: Interesting. So. Wow, man, there you go. And that's so funny how those, uh, oh, what is that called? Urban legends pop up of who said what. And uh, still a good quote to keep in mind, whoever said it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So how should we approach conversations then when we have these discussions of faith? Uh, You talked about uh, keeping things like creeds in mind. Are there any things that we should, as we engage in these conversations, uh, be like, okay, this is something that, we don't need to talk about, or, or, you know, isn't worth stumbling over, or this is something that we probably should engage about if someone wants to discuss theology.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we always, I mean, Jesus is the center mm. and, um, um, I think I would avoid, uh, you know, whoever I'm talking with that's not a believer in Christ. I always look for common ground. Mm. Um, I wouldn't attack Mary. I wouldn't attack the Pope. Um, i wouldn't bring up all the bad things that roman catholics have done in history Mm um um, but i I would i would be i I wouldn't attack um or criticize catholic worship forms Mm -hmm. um, which can be very good Mm -hmm. um uh but i yeah i would just begin with the common ground of um of, of, of who Christ is. And, <clears throat> I think one of the things that, that, uh, that, that, Roman Catholics can be criticized for is, is a, is a grace plus works mm. look and, and things like penance and, and, and doing works. Uh, and, and I think, I think this is where we go back to someone like Augustine who really emphasized the, 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 the grace of God and the sufficiency of Christ. Um, Augustine also said that it's good to hear the sermons of priests. It's good to read what a church council has has uh, decided, but nothing trumps the canonical scriptures. And so mm. Augustine, you know, an, an early church father, is telling us to read the Bible. Right. And I think maybe one of the best things um, um, that we can do to with our um, with our Roman Catholic friends is encourage them to read the Bible. While I'm saying that, that's just something I want to encourage my Protestant friends to do too. Mm. I'm finding more and more evangelicals and Protestants
1: don't read the Bible. Right. And then they've gone back to that thing that we talked about in history where it's, oh, well, this is just the tradition that we do, and we Mm -hmm. check the box, we show up on Sunday, Mm -hmm. and then it's football by Mm 1215, and then that's the schedule, you know. And um, as I'm reading through Amos right now, Mm -hmm. we're talking about these things uh, There's a where where God is judging them, and he says, uh, you spend all Sabbath saying, oh, how long until the sun goes down so I can start selling my weed again? <laughs> and I think, well, how many of us are thinking, oh, how long till the service is over till I can go and sit back in my recliner with my chips and dip and watch, you know, the the big game today? And we totally misplace the heart of why we're worshiping mm-hmm. together. And I also love that perspective that like you said of finding common ground, really whoever we're talking with. And especially with Catholics, we talk about that concept of... Uh, as I heard Doctor Crowe talk about once at CIU, theological triage, mm-hmm. uh, where you're figuring out—you know—in the ER they have triage where they go, "Okay, well, this is a severe case; we need to deal mm-hmm. with this right away." And oh, well, that's not too bad—kind of a skinned arm. We'll we'll let you wait for a little while till we get to you. And that's the same is true with theology. You can do theological triage with uh, people of Catholic background and say, "Okay, well, here's the core that we believe mm-hmm. in," and like the Nicene Creed you talked about—that we can both admit this to be true. And then we can work from there
0: well, if I can add one thing to um, <clears throat> one of my heroes in church history is st. Benedict of Nursia who was uh, who was a monk and uh, the whole rule of st. Benedict that he wrote was uh, really framed around listening to mm-hmm. others um, particularly one whole chapter is when you welcome a guest and he was talking about it, into the monastery um, it's it's listening and being attentive and so a lot of times in our evangelism, we think it's getting everything we want to say and saying all the right things. But uh, but with anyone, it's 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 good to begin by asking questions, and mm. uh, and it gives us a better read on, on on maybe where people are and 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 what they need to hear.
1: Absolutely. So as we uh, kind of conclude this conversation on how to engage uh, the Roman Catholic worldview and how to even look back at our own roots as a global church and a Catholic church in that sense. Uh, if you could say one thing to every Roman Catholic wondering about the Protestant faith, what would you say to them? Um,
0: yeah, I would say Protestants really care about the Bible. Mm. They really care about the the Word of God. They want to hear from God. Um, that That's something um, that I think Protestants are people of the word mm. and, and and value that and I and I think that's a good thing
1: absolutely and then transversely if you could say one thing to every Protestant who's maybe wondering about the Catholic faith what would you say to them yeah
0: I think I think one things that that Catholics can teach us is uh is reverence and quiet and solitude um, our worship services can tend to be really noisy um, even if I could use this word uh, performance type things mm. Uh, whereas in Catholic worship, there's a lot more of uh, contemplation and quiet and listening, mm. um, and um, I think reverence. Mm. Um, and so, um, uh, so we we see even going back to Augustine, there's this tension between what he called the contemplative life and the active life. Mm. Um, probably by default, Catholics are more contemplative; Protestants are more active. Uh, but I think there—that's that's certainly another area. I know in my own life, learning to, um, learning to just be quiet in prayer and uh, prepare my heart for worship in silence and solitude, and and even taking days and retreats and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's the that's the best of the Roman Catholic tradition that we can uh, that we can glean from.
1: Absolutely, one of my favorite hymns uh, talks about they'll know we're Christians by our mm-hmm. love. And there's a a line in there where it says we pray that our unity will one day be restored, but they'll know we're Christians Mm -hmm. by our love. And I I love that that's that thought even amidst uh, this 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 change in this idea of Protestant and Roman Catholic. And you can go all the way to, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy and all these other parts of Christianity would say, well, if we're following Jesus, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely love that mindset. Thank you so much for being on the show. This is awesome. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, If you're interested in um, more of what Dr. Smither uh, has to say, especially in terms of St. Augustine, we'll have some links to his books that he's published on the subject in the comments below. We'd love if you could like, subscribe, and share with a friend. We do this to help encourage your faith and your evangelism. And we hope to see you next week. Have a good one.